It's the final episode of 2020 as they are waving the checkered flag on this crazy year. And what I wanted to do on this show is I wanted to recap everything that has happened in this year to our industry and then use that data and information to forecast what we will have in the coming year. So I reached out to an organization that I think truly has their finger on the pulse of this market. One of the reports they provide is the Ion Housing Report, and that has data on housing trends, construction permits and starts, market analysis, materials data, real estate news, and so much more. So regardless if you're a contractor, homeowner, a real estate agent, a manufacturer, a materials supplier, they provide valuable and useful information for everyone. I'm honored to have with me today National Association of Home Builders, as together we are building the future. This is the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, the Lumberjack, Brett Thorne. On this show, we explore topics including construction, building materials, real estate, remodeling, housing market, industry news, new products and trends, technology, government, everything you need for building the future. Welcome back to the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, Brett Thorne, and we are drawing near the end of this crazy year, the re-roaring 20s. And I thought this would be a great time to reflect back on what these unprecedented times have done to our industry, and more importantly, the effects they're going to have to the future of our industry. So with that, I reached out to the National Association of Home Builders, and with me today I have the Assistant Vice President for Forecasting and Analysis. Welcome to the show, Danishka Nanayakara. Thank you so much, Brett. It's good to be here. Well, Danishka, let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background with the NAHB? Yeah, so I'm the Assistant Vice President for Forecasting and Analysis. What that means is I lead the mapper team at NHB. So we, my team together, you know, we produce the forecast at the national level, at the state level, and we do various analysis um, for local HBAs to anything pretty much, you know, the permit data, the employment data, we put out whatever the government sources uh, compile together and we put it out for our members so it's easily accessible and we do various seeking engagements and yeah so we I think provide a lot of value for the membership at NHB. And how did you get in to the National Association of Home Builders? So before I joined NHB around two years ago I was working for the National Auto Dealers Association in the automotive market. Um, so I worked there for about five and a half years and I wanted to get into something a little bit bigger on, on essentially, uh, you know, bigger in economic terms. So housing was the next step up. So I, when I saw the job opportunity at NHB, I actually applied for it, super excited because there's a lot of research involved and a lot of 
something about I'm passionate about. You know, I'm an uh, economist, so I'm a nerd at heart. So, so the job opportunity actually provided me with a lot of, you know, um, kind of just get experience in a new field. And at the same time, you know, everybody is uh, interested in achieving the American dream, right? Housing. Um, it's a big part of the American culture and a big part of the economy. It creates jobs, it builds communities, and it strengthens the economy. So I wanted to be part of that. So that's how I got involved at, with NHB. Yeah, and a lot of the things you see when they talk about the economy and the, the status of the economy, they say that housing is one of the big drivers for the economy. I would have to think that automotive is somewhere in the list of maybe the, the top leading drivers of the economy. How well does the housing market and the automotive market correlate when it comes to the economics of the country? Yeah, so if you take a family, right, a household, the biggest purchase they'll ever do is buying a house. And the next one is buying cars. You know, that's like the next big big ticket item for a household. So, yeah, I mean, the car, when you know, when you look at it, a car is essential to a success of a family because getting you from point A to point B, I mean, America is such a big country. Not every city has a public transit system to support um, the individual. So a car is essential. At the same time, you know, buying a house, building wealth. You know, if you have a home, it builds wealth for your family. So I think they're very connected. And, you know, buying a car, like, you know, you turn 16, get a driver's license and you get a car. And, you know, and then the next step is eventually, once you get settled, to buy a house. So I think they are they go hand in hand, especially for an American, I think. Okay. So <laughs> to go from the automotive industry to the housing industry, still kind of looking at the same stuff, but just maybe taking a step up, just going to the next level up. Is that mm-hmm. a fair statement? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I know you kind of touched on the NHB a little bit, but let's peel back the layers of that just a little further and let's go a little deeper down that dynamic and tell us really what is it that the National Association of Home Builders does? So we provide um, service to home builders, people in builders in single family market or multifamily. We provide them from just providing like economic data, like um, the economics department that I'm part of does, to advocating at the government, at the federal level or at the state level to be pro-housing. So the so the variety of services that we provide is essential, I think. You know, we have so many members and also we are members in the sister industries as well. So housing is a big, I would say, a sector with a lot of partnerships going in. So I think NHB is, you know, we as a I think in a nutshell, I think what we want is housing for all. And we do want to help our members who, you know, they build communities, they create jobs, so they strengthen the economy. So we want to be helping them to achieve that. So I think that's what NHB does. Since we're kind of talking about the, the economics of it, and I know they say the, the health of the economy is strongly based on the housing market, 
Do you know what those percentages are or have an idea of how much influence the housing market has on the overall economy? So housing makes up around 15% of GDP, that's the gross domestic product. So it's a fairly big sector if you think about um, residential market. So that's how much that makes out of the whole economy. So, yeah. And you guys are just on the residential side, correct? That's correct, yes. And you're providing services for more of the, the home builders. Do you do multifamily as well? Yes, we do for multifamily as well. So both sectors, single family and multifamily. Okay. And I know you're on the data side of it, the forecasting and analysis. What are some of the other services that the NAHB offers to the home builders? So right now, I mean, just this year alone, we have launched a pandemic, you know, what the, uh, what, how, what side of resources. So we worked with state governments to make sure that housing was deemed essential across the country. So because of our advocacy, you know, most of the states were deemed residential construction as um, essential. So our builders were continuing to, you know, be able to build without having to stop. And then um, we do lots of advocacy work. We are pro-housing for sure. And we work with the administrations to bring down, um, for instance, like lumber prices or to uh, how do we get more skilled labor or labor, you know, into the industry? Then housing affordability is a big topic that we um, we deal with. And, the, you know, building codes is another one. And then housing finance reform. So, yeah, so we do a lot of work um, at NHB. But, you know, if you anybody wants more information, you can go on to nhb.org. We have all the advocacy programs that we are involved in all listed in detail. And you guys are at the national level. So does that mean that there are state levels of association for home builders below this? Yes, that's the um, the local and the state home building associations. They all kind of make up the national association. The local associations give like more localized help for builders in their areas. Well, now that we've got a good background on both what it is you do for the association and then what the association does for the industry, let's shift gears and let's talk about the re-roaring 20s that we are <laughs> all experiencing and, and kind of tell us what it is that you got. Obviously, as you said, you guys were part of the legislative advocacy side to get the construction side, the, the home builders deemed essential. But what else has 2020 impacted on the housing market and the home building market? I think 2020 has brought housing into a renewed, I think, focus simply because of the pandemic. Uh, I think it showed people, you know, you're, you're staying home majority of the time and how important it is to own your house right now. We've seen a lot of people leaving the urban areas into less dense areas. And you've also seen, you know, a new definition. It's like now your home is not just some, you know, a place where you only spend a few hours every day. This is where you spend your pretty much your whole day. And it has now turned into your office. It has turned into mm -hmm. your gym. It has turned into your classroom for your children. 
So it has a renew. It is like if you are like a new restaurant too, right? You're cooking more. You're spending so much time. So I think um, housing has become come into the forefront simply because people need space and people need to have their own little bubble that they have to create, I guess. So this is something that we didn't really expect earlier this year. We didn't realize how important housing was going to be. And because of that, it has been incredibly resilient this year. It's, it's really good news. You know, if you are even um, the, on the really, you know, new home sales or existing home sales, it's just, like you said, it's the roaring 20s. Yeah. The, I mean, sales are up on both sides. You know, new home sales are up over 40% compared to a year ago, and existing home sales are up over 25% compared to a year ago. So, yeah, housing is doing really well right now. And you kind of touched on how the house is transforming into so much more than just a uh, dwelling. It's becoming so many more resources for the family. And you also touched on how people are moving maybe away from the urban area. What are you seeing in the data as far as people moving from multifamily units or maybe apartments and condos and things like that to homes? Are you seeing a lot of shift there in the market? We are definitely seeing um, shift from, from the construction side, too. We are seeing that you know, um, the permit data looking at the suburbs of the medium-sized cities are gaining more ground compared to the urban centers, and same thing is happening with multifamily. More multifamily permit growth is happening in less dense areas. And at the same time, if you look at like home ownership rates right now, it has increased considerably, and that shows us you know, some of the rental uh, households have now created their own households in the single-family market too. So we are seeing a lot of changes uh, in that um, in that sense. But at the same time, you know, the mortgage rates are historically low right now. So that is also driving the millennials and probably the older Gen Z to read. Th- you know, think about buying and. The millennials, have, the oldest millennials have turned 39 this year. And, you know, if people have been saving money to go on a vacation this year or to have a big wedding or whatever it is, right, there's, there's more savings in their pockets right now. So I think we're seeing a lot of people are putting that money towards a down payment to a house. And I think that's why this has spurred so much demand for housing uh, right now. Yeah, and I remember seeing a report that, Despite all the economic turbulence there is, the disposable income for the year was actually up, even though with all the job losses of the furloughs and everything, simply because people were not spending money traditionally like they would, going out, eating mm-hmm. out, taking vacations and things of that nature. Yeah. If you look at just the GDP data in a very broad sense, the only sector is down. But the good sector and then, of course, residents like construction is all up. And, yeah, we are buying more things. You know, we are doing more grocery shopping and, we are, you know, doing our Christmas shopping. But we are not spending our money in restaurants. We are not going to the movies. We are not going on vacation. So there's a lot of money that we would have spent otherwise. 
that is now, you know, either saved or then, you know, people are just like, okay, now we can put money towards, you know, a down payment for a house. So I think we're definitely seeing that in the household um, balance sheet. So people are spending that money either buying a new home or maybe even expanding on their existing home, finishing out a basement, putting in more living space. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe more of the trends that we're seeing or or the the most significant trends we're seeing is people are leaving, like you said, the urban areas and getting further out of the metro maybe. Is, Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, into the suburbs, I would say. And you're right, remodeling spending is up. Uh, People are renovating their basements to, you know, doing, like, I think when you spend so much time at home, I think people (laughs) feel like, you know what, I would like a nicer kitchen or my bathroom can get an upgrade, you know. So they're like, I have this money now, so let me do the kitchen and all this stuff. But, yeah, definitely we've seen the remodeling spending is up. And, yeah, and then the suburban shift, um, you know, is a telecommuting too. So if people have been living in closer to the urban centers because of their commuting, now you take that uh, telecom- because of the telecommuting and the flexibility that we see for the foreseeable future has now taken, you know, has made it like, okay, you don't have to really commute for two hours to go 20 miles now. So, yeah, you can live a little bit further out. And also the cost, right? The price, the affordability is better uh, as you go further away from an urban center too. So you could probably afford to have a bigger house for lesser cost, lesser price as opposed to living closer to the urban centers. Now, we've talked about urban and we've talked about suburban. Mm -hmm. Something I saw, and I am pretty sure it was in one of your reports, was a area called exurban. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been in this industry my entire life, and I had to look that up because I was not certain exactly what that was. What can you tell us about that, Danushka? It's a, you know, district outside the city, and it is like a typically denser inner suburban area. And, yeah, it is, you know, we had seen it's low housing density historically, but we are seeing in the last um, two to three quarters that it's actually growing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the results, you know, we are, looking, we are looking at permit data and we are seeing more construction taking place in the exurb areas. Yeah, the fact that it's simply being mentioned in reports obviously means that there's some activity with it and some growth. Yeah, exactly. So all said and done, you know, looking back, I mean, we are – at the finish line of the year, but looking back, you know, from the standpoint of the home builders, this year actually hasn't been too bad. Yeah. Yeah, it really hasn't. And so, to think of it, it's actually been really good, yeah. <laughs> if we're being honest here. <laughs> yeah, it's been really good. And, you know, when the pandemic started, we were expecting, you know, dramatic declines for single family compared to last year. But it's a complete story right now. We are expecting this year to be about 11% growth compared to last year. And we think, you know, the single family starts could come to around 990,000 units. So it's done remarkably well. 
for next year as well, we think single family should grow around 5%, close to 5% for next year. So we think they will be. No, is that 5% on top of what growth we had this year? Is that a year over year 5%? Okay. Yeah, year over year. Real quick, before we dive into next year, let's, can we put this year in perspective? So with the growth we've had this year, how does it compare to, let's say the, you know, the 2005, 2006, 2007 eras percentage-wise? Mm-hmm. Back, uh, how does it compare to that, the housing boom we had right after the turn of the millennium? I think it's very different two time periods, simply because 2006, 2007, we had a lot of overbuilding. So there was, that's why it was a housing bubble, essentially. So there was too much building going on for compared to the demand. But right now, we, we, we are not in a housing bubble. We are actually underbuilt. If we look at the starts compared to population adjusted, you know, taking into account the population increase, we are actually severely underbuilt right now. So because of that, uh, we need more housing. We definitely need to get, we need to be building around 1.2 million single family homes a year. And we haven't even come close to that in the, since the Great Recession. So we are severely underbuilt. So this year looks like to be a great year um, for single family builders. And then the next couple of years as well, it should continue to go. It's, it's the demand, the, you know, the demographic shifts are happening. And then, of course, you know, the mortgage rates are really low, so we're seeing a lot of demand. And then the supply of housing has been constrained because of lots of supply challenges, right? The labor, the lumber, the regulatory fees, uh, so forth, have kind of really challenged the builders. How do you now build an affordable home? But, you know, the demand is in our favor, we should see this demand going into the next couple of years. So I think this is a great time uh, for housing. So, and you said we're, we're underbuilt at the current population levels we're at. We need to be at around 1.2 million. But mm-hmm. you said for this year, did you say 900,000 is probably what we're going to finish at? Close to 989,000. Okay. That's what our forecast is for 2020. Okay. So we're still going to be, you know, 20% below where we need to be. We're still about few, you know, few hundred thousand units lower, but according to our forecast, you know, we're expecting next year to come to a million. Every 2022, our expectation is that single family will come to around 1.1 million. But does the the levels we need to be at, if we're at 1.2 million this year, does that grow exponentially as we fall short? Because obviously we're going to fall 200,000 short this year. So does yeah. that mean next year that before you even take into consideration the population, we're already at 1.4 million because we were 200,000 short this year? So we're hoping, so this is, um, you know, we don't really um, exponentially increase um, stocks like that. Okay. We are thinking, you know, we're looking at the housing stock. So right now, uh, we, if you look at the existing homes as well, and then the new home sales. So we are looking all of those things together. You know, we, if we are building around 1.2 consistently, we should be okay. At least they should have inventory of people, you know, especially on the, the entry level homes, you know, we need more of that. But okay. if we can get close to, I think above a million is honestly a good start. 
Right. Um, so the 1.2 yeah. is kind of a, a static target, maybe not necessarily yeah. a, a variable number, but just a static target. As long as we're, we're around that range, we are in a healthy growth level. Is that fair yes. to say a healthy level? I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair to say that. Yeah. So, and you know, as we've kind of talked to you, you've relayed a lot on, you know, how things are looking for the coming years, 2021, you know, the predictions and stuff. So truly looking at the future and what is going on, despite all the, the economic stress we've had, well, and just the, the stress throughout the country we've had with uh, obviously being an election year, which those can always make things a little more turbulent when you have a, a regime change in the leadership. But despite all of that, we are still looking promising for the coming year. Yeah, that's fair to say that, yeah. What's the drivers on that? I mean, it, other than some of the things we've talked about, is there anything that we haven't discussed that's maybe going to be driving that? So we are assuming that there would be a, the vaccine will be a successful vaccine, and most people will be vaccinated by the second or third quarter next year. So that's the big wild card in there. You know, this is an assumption that we are <laughs> we are working with. GDP growth also should be very solid for next year as well, assuming, you know, we are, we are going to go into a post-pandemic time period next year. By at least third to fourth quarter, we would go into, you know, we will be going back to normal. So that's the assumption we are working with. But, you know, as this year has shown, it's been crazy, right? We couldn't even see any of this coming. But... You know, we are hoping successful deployment. So there's a lot of assumptions here that the, there would be a lot of stabilizing factors would play in for next year, and we are hoping it would be successful. That's why we are expecting next year to be a good year. Okay, and we said, you know, obviously that's under the assumption that, you know, the vaccine is available second and third quarter, you know, pretty much nationwide there. So obviously that is something that could dramatically affect the market. What are some of the other things that we need to be cautious of or maybe aware of that could dramatically affect um, and, and create a negative outlook for the housing market in the coming year? I think, um, you know, this has been an issue in the last or for the last few years, too. It's that we have to figure out how do we bring down costs and availability for building material prices? How do we, you know, make sure that the builders are able to build houses without affordability headwinds. So that would be another caution. Yeah, it would be something that we would have to keep an eye on to make sure that next year is a good year. It's something that, you know, the builders can't really control uh, the availability of skilled labor or, you know, the building material price that has, this year has shown. And then, you know, we need to work with the state and local officials to make sure, you know, bring down regulatory cost burdens on builders so we can have, you know, more affordable housing units available for the people. Yeah, and the materials, obviously, this year took a dramatic increase simply because of the supply availability because what the pandemic did to so many places and corporations and logistics and everything. So obviously the demand was still there, but the supply was shortage dramatically, which then drove the price up. But as far as the labor side, you know, that seems to be an issue that was a pre-pandemic issue. So what are we going to have to do to combat that? I mean, 
even when things come back to a norm and the, hopefully the pandemic is behind us and the virus, we have the vaccine for it and we have it under control, do you foresee there still being a labor issue? Yes, we do see that. Um, right now, also, we, um, according to the BL, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, there is, uh, when I say construction, it includes residential and non-residential, around 230,000 jobs are open in construction trade. And the reason for this lack of skilled labor is that, you know, the Great Recession was just absolutely devastating for a lot of people, and they just left the construction labor force for good. And young people are not uh, coming into the labor force for construction. So, you know, it's the aging labor force right now. Uh, women only make up around 9% of construction trade when women make up almost half the labor force. So we need to be able to bring in young people. We need to encourage them to go to trade schools and, you know, do apprenticeships, internships with builders and encourage women to go into construction as well. So there's a lot of things at play here. So we are, and that was, that is one of our advocacy uh, work too, you know, the workforce development. How do we get young people interested in the trade? So we need to figure out how to get them excited because otherwise the skilled labor issue is going to be be there for a while. So yeah, it's it's become it is a norm. It seems like unfortunately, so it's something we really have to work. With. And I always encourage you know if, if people are unemployed right now, you know just look at the trades. Uh, it would be a great career option for a lot of people. You know, in all your guys' research and stuff, and in your advocacy for getting the the younger generations excited about it. Is there a good explanation from the younger generations of why they're not excited or why this industry isn't looked at as a viable option? I think the four-year college option has been drilled into a lot of people that this is the way to be looking at your life plan, essentially. But I don't think a lot of young people actually know about the trade schools and know about you know how much money you can make in construction. So there's a lot of information that's missing from them. I think we need to do, you know, we need to be able to let them know these these are the options. You have so many career options to pick from, and you can make a solid living being in construction. So we need to get that message across to a lot of young people, I think, for them to get them excited. You know, looking at it from the economic side, you know, as we were talking about with the materials, the supply and demand issues we have had, I mean, do you guys see that, you know, maybe from the labor side, obviously there's demand and there's going to continue to be demand, especially when we're looking at some of these numbers we talked about of the the new homes that are going to be needed. And if the supply from the labor force is not there to build these homes, obviously that is going to drive the price up. For those that are, are existing in the industry, and it, essentially it'll keep raising and raising and raising until that supply is able to accommodate the demand that's there, is that going to have an impact on bringing young people in, you know, seeing these wages keep getting higher and higher and higher, do you think? I mean, we actually put out a, a blog And maybe I'm going way too deep into this, in this guy. I don't know, maybe I'm reaching, I, I don't know, I'm just... I'm trying to understand this all and then get the uh, forecast myself a little bit here, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we do uh, put out a report to show how people, you know, looking at the BLS data, like to show people how much they make on these grades. 
So I hope that will get them excited. But yeah, if, the, if there's not enough construction workers, of course, the cost per hour for them are, is going to increase. That's the supply and demand issue right there. But we are hoping, you know, we our advocacy work will work well, that, you know, we'll have uh, more uh, young people interested. When I say young people, it includes, certainly includes young people and women too. I think women should look at construction trade. You know, it's not just only for men. So we should be able to encourage women also to go into the construction. And I guess some of my relation to that comes from, you know, looking back, you know, using history, when we talk about the Great Recession, but prior to that, obviously, the housing bubble that we were talking about, I, I remember then, you know, seeing people that weren't even young people, maybe people that were well-established in the end, in, you know, in their profession of choice, seeing people leaving other industries to come into the building materials, or they, you know, maybe some of them came in as general contractors, or they were just building spec homes and stuff. But I was shocked at how many people came into the industry that had never been in it before just because of the money that was there. Of course, now, again, that was the housing bubble, which obviously, as you said before, was well overbuilt. And that's why we had the housing bust, because that pendulum, when it swings one way really far, it comes back a long ways as well. But I was shocked then at how many people that I saw that had never been in the industry before that were exiting whatever their chosen profession was to get into it. Yeah, I think um, that, that's, that's a great example, too. And also, system-built housing has an advantage here where they hire factory workers. They don't really hire construction workers. So if we can get more system-built housing up and you know running, and if we can increase that share, too, what they will be hiring more manufacturing workers as opposed to construction workers. So there's like, you know, multiple avenues to be in housing, not just being in construction trade. So anyway, look, there's a lot of opportunity there to get into this industry and to make, like we said, a good, solid living. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now we just need to get all these stars to align in us. We, we, <laughs> It sounds like everything is there. We just got to get everything working in the same direction, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if that, I mean, the demand is there. You know, the financing is great. It's just that we just have to step up on the building because there's so much headwinds for the builders. So we just have to make sure everything lines up perfectly. And I'm sure it sounds like with all the advocacy you guys are doing, you guys are on top of that as well, correct? Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are staying very busy, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Well, if people, and I know you mentioned the website earlier, but and I will put that in the show notes, but if you want to go ahead and mention the website again, um, where people can find out more about the National Association of Home Builders, where is it they can do that again? It's at nhb.org. Fantastic. And Dineshka, before I let you go, do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners? This year has been incredible. It shows how resilient we are as humans and also how resilient housing sector has been. And I think it's going to be, if any, you know, if you're in the housing sector, I think it's going to be a great couple of years ahead. I agree 100%. And I want to thank you for your time and all the information you've shared with us today. Thank you so much, Brett. Thanks for having me. This is the Building the Future podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please like and share. 
You can find out more at our website, www.buildingthefuturepodcast.com. Together we are building the future.